Welcome to another podcast of The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I wanted to introduce to you a new book called Truth in a Culture of Doubt by three professors, uh, Kassenberger, Bach, and Chatra. They're professors of New Testament at different uh, theological seminaries. One's at Liberty, one's at Dallas Theological Seminary, one's at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And on the back cover, uh, it, this book gets a lot of rave reviews. Somebody says these authors show that the truth of the Christian faith can stand up to the most arduous of critics. And uh, the, the part in the back here that uh, really bothers me, it says all too often Christians and even Christian leaders do not know how to deal with skeptical challenges to the Bible and the Christian faith. That is so sad and it's so true, unfortunately. So this is a book that attempts to engage skeptical challenges to the Bible, and the one person that they spend time uh, focusing on as far as his challenges is Bart Ehrman. And they're not picking on him because he's easy to knock down, knock off or because uh, they're offended by him or something, but Ehrman is an expert in the study of ancient biblical manuscripts, and he's probably the best known. He ends up on talk shows. He's done all sorts of debates. He sells a gazillion copies of his books. And so he's a good representative, I guess, of the people who are the skeptics. And uh, Ehrman, I'm going to take, well, let me go through the book real fast so you know the kinds of topics that they have here. Chapter one, is God immoral because he allows suffering? Chapter two, is the Bible full of irresolvable contradictions? Chapter three, are the Bible manuscripts corrupt? Fourth chapter, were there many Christianities? And then the final chapter are many New Testament documents forged. That's quite a challenge, huh? Well, I wanted to take on the one that's, uh, gosh, it's been around as long as Christians have been around. And before that is, can there be a good God when there's so much pain and suffering? And Bart Ehrman put out a book called God's Problem, and he explained why he gave up on Christianity. And it was this argument. There's so much pain and suffering that's going on here. So here's the problem. He says, and uh, they say in the book, Ehrman never explains, based on his worldview that there is no God, why humans should try to relieve suffering in other humans. He never explains the basis for his moral outrage. I mean, think about that. Where is he getting his morality? Ehrman is saying, what, just I don't like it? Well, then who cares? That's just one person's opinion. But is there a standard up above Bart Ehrman? Where is he getting that morality? Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? And that's a big issue, isn't it? If there's no God and we're just in a material world, then what's the big deal? Violence and suffering just part of the world. There's no morality attached to it. So violence wouldn't be evil. It's just part of the evolutionary process. So why try to get rid of suffering and violence? So I think that's kind of an interesting way to diffuse the attack from Ehrman right off. Uh, but Bible believers, Christians believe, since there is a God, that we should care because God created us. We're supposed to love others. But without God, that's that compassion is just a bunch of chemical changes in your brain. Suffering's meaningless and violence is meaningless meaningless. Nothing nothing counts. Nothing matters. So, without God, this is how they start the chapter then, Ehrman doesn't have any ground for his morality. So that's an interesting way to start this thing. So here's how they do the rest of the chapter. They take a claim and then they attack it. So here's claim number one. It's a contradiction to say that God is sovereign, that God is good because of all of the evil in the world. Well, they point out, though, that 
most philosophers these days recognize that there may be a mystery about God and evil, there's no internal dilemma that threatens the rationality of the belief in God. Okay, so what are they saying? That there really isn't any philosophical or theological or logical reason why you can't have God and evil. So they said, first of all, the argument against God's sovereignty in the face of all this evil is self-contradictory because it assumes some kind of moral framework. But how can that be if God is absent? So that's that argument we were just talking about. Secondly, he said this argument assumes a God's eye view. He says, well, no human has a God's eye view. In other words, Ehrman says he can't think of any reason why suffering should exist, so therefore there is no good reason, and thus there's no good God. But they said just because Ehrman or anybody else can't understand why God would allow suffering, does that mean God doesn't exist? Well, it'd only mean that if you had God's eye view of the whole thing. So the, they, they point out the Bible calls on us to accept at times that an infinite God is something that finite beings like us can't understand, and we just have to trust him. So they say that for these two reasons, most philosophers, even the ones that are atheists, agree that the suffering in the world is not a convincing argument against belief in the existence of God. They said, it's interesting, Ehrman never uh, addresses either of those two reasons that uh, take apart his claim. Here's claim number two. Again, this is coming from Ehrman. This is in his book, God's Problem. He claims the Bible says so many different things, so many different answers to the problem of why they're suffering in the world, and many of these answers contradict each other. So he said, this is Ehrman now talking, he said the Bible offers five explanations. Suffering comes as a punishment against sin. Suffering is a result of people sinning against others. Suffering is redemptive. Suffering is a test of faith. Suffering at times is mysterious. So Ehrman says, look at those. Those explanations are often contradictory, but what's the big deal? He says, yeah, different authors at times focus on one explanation, but it didn't mean that they were saying that was the single universal answer to suffering that has to be applied in every situation. So they said, you know, the only way Ehrman's statement makes sense is that if each biblical author was giving some kind of total exhaustive explanation for suffering. And even Ehrman admits that's not the case. So you can have these different things going on. They're not contradictory. They said the problem is that Ehrman just doesn't like the Bible explanations. Okay, here's claim number three. The Bible's explanations for suffering and evil are not satisfying. So Ehrman doesn't deny that the Bible does provide explanations for evil and suffering. That was back in the previous claim. But he just doesn't like the explanations. Well, the authors of this book say, well, first of all, don't base your view of the Bible's truthfulness based on you not liking its answers. And secondly, they said, often Ehrman casts the biblical explanations as absolutes that have to apply to every situation, and he mocks that position for not corresponding to reality. Well, the Bible doesn't insist punishment's the only reason people suffer. And they said Ehrman mocks the Christian position for saying that evil and suffering can be a mystery. And then he turns around, and he has no alternative explanation of his own. He just says, all that is here is all that we have. So he says, basically, Christians don't have an answer. Well, he doesn't have an answer. 
So suffering and evil are a mystery no matter what perspective you take. So you really have to kind of figure out which system, either the skeptical system of Ehrman or the Christian position, which one offers the most existentially satisfying answer. And he says no matter who comes up with these answers, there's still going to be some questions there. And it says, assuming, these are the authors talking here, you know, assuming that there is a God who stands behind the Bible, why would he be under obligation to explain everything? And I would add to that, how, how could he explain everything? He's God, we're not. Can you imagine explaining everything to an ant? No. And he says, uh, they, the authors say also that Ehrman ha- does not think about and fails to recognize the impact on the Christian doctrine of the incarnation when you're talking about evil and suffering. Now, what does the New Testament say? That God himself entered the world. God suffered. Tim Keller has said, uh, we worship the only God who has wounds. So we can't say that God is remote or he's detached. He came into the world himself. All right, here's another claim. The God of the Bible is immoral, therefore he cannot exist. Hmm. So actually what you're doing is you're providing a powerful argument for God. And uh, they reference Tim Keller here. Modern day objections to God, talking about evil here, are based on a sense of fair play and justice. But it says, if you're dealing with evolution, that's that depends on death and destruction and violence. So how does the atheist judge the natural world to be wrong or unfair or unjust? You're assuming some kind of standard beyond the human race. So we're back to that argument again. That Where is he getting this standard of right and wrong? Ehrman says God doesn't have the right to do certain things, but if God is God, then how could you argue he's God, that he's wrong when he acts the way he does? He, they reference Keller again. says uh, the secular Westerners get so upset by the Christian doctrine of hell, right? So they're upset at that, but they really love when the Bible talks about turning the other cheek and forgiving enemies. But Keller says, you know, other cultures and traditional societies, this turning the other cheek doesn't make any sense. They don't like that. But they have the, the judgment of God, you know, coming down on people. They think that's all right. So Keller says, so why should cultural sensibilities be the final way that we're going to judge whether Christianity is valid? Okay, they also say that Ehrman's outrage about the immoral actions of God is rooted in his denial of the doctrine of sin. You know, evil acts are rebellion against God. And for Ehrman, evil is bad because it hurts other people, but in the Bible, hurting others is no legitimate reason, uh, for no legitimate reason is evil, but that's only part of what makes evil so bad. Evil is offending a righteous God, according to the Bible. And all suffering is rooted in, in a rebellion against God. So, not all people, by the way, they point out, as Christians do, theologians, not all people are equally good or bad, and that we've all slapped God in the face, haven't we? At the end of the chapter, they talk about with without God, Ehrman has nothing in which to ground the morality that undergirds the, undergirds the premise of his argument. So here we are again. Ehrman is raising an objection. He says, this is immoral. This is a bad world. This is terrible. But that standard can only come from outside of him. Otherwise, he can't say anything is immoral. All he can say is, I don't like it. So it says, Ehrman can't escape the Bible's morality. It's written on his heart. 
by the same person who stands behind the Bible that he's rejecting. And then at the end of the chapter, they say the Bible insists that no one other than the Creator himself will ultimately make things right again. So there's the, the, they quote Revelation 21. So there's the hope that we all share. So this is an interesting book. It's not that long. It's a um, hundred and some pages. And I like it at the end here because they, they, in a sense, outline. They call it a quick question and answer guide. So it's a good way to go to the end after you've read a chapter and kind of burn it into your mind so you know it really well. And they've got a glossary here. Really good book. Wonderful book. So it's called Truth in a Culture of Doubt. Well, thanks. Hope you have a good day and I hope to talk to you again.